This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Fubar Radio and UN Women UK present a live 24 hour radio show. 24 hours. That was Alicia Keys' girlfriend. This is Foo Bar Radio, and we're going to go straight to the phone lines to Dr. Joanna Williams. Um, Dr. Joanna Williams, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thank you for uh, being part of the show. Um, you are the author of Women Versus Feminism. Um, talk to me about this book. So I wrote this book really from a background of being a feminist myself Mm. and believing passionately in men and women being equal and women being able to take on the world and do whatever men did. That was very much the background I was coming from. And I gradually just became more and more concerned that feminism was actually about sending out the opposite message to women today, that there's a mainstream feminism where the narrative is that women are actually victims. Mm. Uh, That's constantly reminding women how disadvantaged they are in a way that actually doesn't bear any relationship to reality and can become very um, disempowering and very debilitating to constantly be told that you're paid less than men, that you're worthless, that you're going to be beaten up, that there's a rape culture. And like I say, if you actually explore the statistics, these tales of woe don't really match up to reality. And yet this is the message that we're constantly bombarding women with. And I don't think it does women any favours whatsoever. So my book really was a challenge to that, to try and say that actually it's pretty great being a woman today. There's Mm, lots of areas where we're actually doing better than men and we're not victims and we don't want to have our freedoms restricted as if we were. You talk about their freedom. You're a campaigner for academic freedom. Without asking a stupid question, what do you mean by that? Well, academic freedom to me is very much equated to freedom of speech, which is the way that people would see it more generally. Um, So I think academics in particular need need freedom of speech to be able to push the boundaries of knowledge, to be able to test received wisdom, to challenge orthodoxies. And I think often today it's very easy for academics and everybody on Mm. a university and in society more broadly to become quite conformist in their outlook. You try saying something outrageous on Twitter and you soon find that there are Twitter mobs braying for you. And obviously the definition of what's outrageous today seems to change over time and the, the barrier for what's outrageous gets lower. So even suggesting that there might be a link between um, biology and gender, um, that a, a woman um, has a female anatomy is enough to set mobs onto you today. And I think that the result, like I say, can become quite, uh, can encourage people to self-censor and to not say what they think, which is not helpful for debate. And uh, it can create a very conformist political environment where doing things like challenging feminism, for example, Mm. uh, can make me very, very unpopular. Yeah, yeah, and it's, but you know what, it's it, it's brave you're doing it, you know. Um, let's talk about inspirational women. Who would you say are your inspirational, either your inspirational woman or your inspirational women? 
Oh, that's a very good question. So going back through history, um, going back to the suffragettes, I would have to say that my favourite of all was Sylvia Pankhurst. And I think Sylvia, rather than her mother, Emmeline, or her sister, Christabel, we, we hear an awful lot more about Emmeline Pankhurst, the mother, But for me, it's actually Sylvia, who's my real hero, um, because she, uh, so I'm sure everybody's aware that the centenary that we're celebrating at the moment of of votes for women actually only applied to some women. It was only women over the age of 30 and women who owned property. Um, So it was only really a few posh older women who got given the vote 100 years ago. And Sylvia Pankhurst was absolutely adamant that the vote should be given to all women and to all men as well, that she didn't want the vote to be tied to how much money people had or whether they owned property, but that it was individual people who um, needed the vote. And I think there's really important lessons there for feminism today about working with men, alongside men, not seeing men as the enemy, if you like, and the idea that men and women have got um, common cause with each other. Um, to to fight for rights alongside each other rather than opposed to each other. Um, And it is true, isn't it? And, you know, having, say, for me, the reason why I wanted to do a show like this um, was to start that conversation. Like you say, talk about feminism, whatever your views are. Talk about the He For She campaign, men and women working together. How important do you think it is that we are talking about things like this? I think it's absolutely vital. Um, But I think there's a bit of hypocrisy at the moment among a lot of people who do say um, that men and women should be working together because they're not really on about looking at what men and women have got in common. They're really just wanting to convert men to feminism. So, for example, we hear an awful lot about the gender pay gap and we hear a lot about celebrities and um, women presenters at the BBC who have enormous salaries. I mean, salaries that I just could never in a million years imagine. I mean, I wish, but I could never imagine earning that much money. Um, And they talk about the gender pay gap. Whereas if you have a look at men and women who are in much lower paid jobs, men and women who are on minimum wage jobs, there's actually zero gender pay gap. Because if you earn the minimum wage, then you get the minimum wage, whether you're a man or a woman, and gender just doesn't come into it. And so I think for men and women who are in jobs rather than very, very well-paid careers, they're much better off fighting for their interests, fighting for more money alongside each other. Whereas what feminism does is sometimes it does talk about wanting to recruit men, but it's wanting to recruit men into a project which is about, I think, protecting the interests or furthering the interests of a small and elite group of of very privileged women rather than defending the interests of men and women as equals. Well, look, Dr. Joanna Williams, thank you so, so much for joining us today here at Food Bar Radio. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, Dr. Joanna Williams. We are going to go now to a song, Free Money by Patti Smith. Don't go anywhere.
That was Patty Smith, Free Money. Uh, this is Foo Bar Radio. We are very much into the 24-hour live show, um, supporting the He for She campaign, raising money and awareness, um, working alongside UN Women UK. Remember, if you want to donate, um, all money donated is going uh, towards changing the reality for women and girls globally. All you need to do is text UN Women 15, followed by the amount you want to donate to 770. I am joined um, in the studio by Aminka. Hello! Do you know what? <laughs> the ray of energy right now is perfect. But you know what? I'm actually quite um, uh, shaken up. I almost threw two, two cats outside, get run over, and that's really just scarred me, yeah, and I think that I can't unsee that. That really just you happened. Can't I can't unsee that, my word. It's like, what's <laughs> happening here? What's happening here? Um, Aminka, thank you so much for being my co-host in this part of the show. You oh, are for sure, honey. You know what? It's nice, because I literally just came from a uh, he for she uh, night last night, oh, wow. which was, um, yeah, very funky indeed the vaults in waterloo are popping off the waterloo vaults amazing it's like a whole new world Uh of bean bags and fake ivy and incense burning it's literally like a festival just brought to an underground graffiti town it's amazing so um yeah so i was there he for she um was there and it was quite a sick night and um yeah i'm feeling a type of way but so are you because you've been up for 19 hours i feel like i've been up for eternity but it's good nothing caffeine can't uh, can't look after us and Harry bears um a lot of Harry <laughs> um on the phone lines right now we have another guest on the phone lines we've got um Anuvab Pal one of India's top stand up comedians hello Anuvab hello everyone hello Hi. hello thank you, for me. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us how are you today I am well actually uh well thank you for having me and from what I hear this He's been going on for a couple of days. You guys have been on air for a while. Uh, yes, um, I went on air. Uh, yes, I'm trying to think what day it is today. Uh, yesterday at... Uh, yeah, I just thought it's Saturday, right? <laughs> uh, yesterday at 5pm. I, I, I can't really say anything. Here. I've only just joined half an hour ago. But I'm still trying to You're jump... Still <laughs> you are still here. Still here. Um, Nuvab, you have been listed by the Times of India as one of India's top five comedians um your play the president is coming was made into a bollywood film as well i mean you are just doing incredible um let's start at the beginning get to know um you a little bit better um have you always wanted to be a comedian you know um that's a really good question uh, the interesting thing is that you know uh, i live in a i live in a country with a billion people and there's a constant conflict between sort of very Western modernism, you know, with its values mm. uh, and sort of very medieval thought processes. And when you're conflicted with that sort of on a daily basis, you know, um, the, the comedy just happens automatically. So um, I feel like being a comedian in India is a bit of a cheat because all you have to do is just observe and write stuff down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, just at the basic level for what you guys are discussing, you know, at one level, there is huge advancement in sort of women in the workplace in India, right? Mm-hmm. And at another level, there are sort of, you know, values from the 14th century that people are, are trying to come out of. So if every day you're confronted with stuff from the 14th century and the 21st century, That's all crazy. in like a half an hour commute, 
<laughs> You're going to find some funny things on way. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. It just happens. Yeah. Would you say that you're actually um, funny just in... No- you're a comedian, but would you say you just make jokes in normal every day? You know, I'm probably not as funny as, say, my parents or... <laughs> probably not that funny, to be honest with you. Probably not. You wouldn't really giggle that much. But it's true, isn't it? Comedians, I think... And I know that with my friends that are comedians. You constantly... It's like, tell me a joke. Tell me a joke. Um, does that get annoying to you? Do your friends treat you like that? Or... Or not. You know, I, I always compare it to like certain professions where a lot of skill is required. Like, for example, if a brain surgeon was at a dinner party, people wouldn't say to them, you know, can you just perform, perform an open surgery. brain surgery um, <laughs> to tell us that you're not lying? But I guess ours is a profession, or, or even like a flight attendant, people wouldn't say, can you do that thing with the seatbelt to tell us that you're a flight attendant? But, uh, but with us, you know, I think people always want to sort of test. Um, and I, I, I'm okay with that because I feel like they're making you work for your dinner. You know, they're just not taking uh, your word for it. Well, of course, but you have quite a good talent. You make people laugh. That's the fruit of life, my friend. It is. <laughs> that is one good talent to yeah. have. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, but, but, but the hard part in our job is it's like mathematics, right? Like if you write drama, you know, people could be sitting there very quietly through whatever you've written. You know, if they're doing a one-person piece or a movie or whatever. And you would you don't really know how they're feeling. Mm. Back and say this is the worst thing I've ever seen, but they look very serious. And you've written drama, so their face is not giving it away. Ours is sadly like mathematics. You know, it's wow. either either people have laughed or not. So so you could go back to the green room and say I had the greatest show in the world, and you can just tell that people just you know want to beat you up. You know? <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> really hope not. <laughs> Um, Anuvab, I know we don't have um, too long with you. Um, I believe you're, you're, you've got a BBC Radio 4 series due for broadcast later this year. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing is that, um, you know, we, we uh, or where I live, I live around a lot of sort of buildings left from the state of the empire, you know. And, and the interesting thing is there's, there's been a lot of debate about, about sort of Britain in India, you know, lately, about whether it was a good thing, it was a bad thing, did good things come out of it, the bad things come out of it. And, you know, I mean, at a basic level, the good thing is that it gives, you know, there's a language and we can have a conversation. So that was good, I think. Mm. But uh, I, was, I was touring with a British comedian and we both sort of said that, you know, wouldn't it be nice to just go around and see all the buildings that were built during the empire in India and in Britain and to see, you know, whether they were built with loot money or... Because they look very similar. You know, there are eerie parts of India that look very much like London. And I always wondered, why Why does it look like... <laughs> you know, why do we suddenly have a replica of the St. John's Cathedral, you know, in the middle of a very Indian street? Mm. You know, why is there a giant statue of Queen Victoria in a city she never visited? Wow. So, so and, and how must the locals feel about that? Because they have no idea who that person is, right? So they must be like... Well, she must be someone. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was. Uh, we've always been interested in that. So, Andy Zoltzman, who's a British comedian, and I were sort of going on this on this tour, if you will, of India and Britain, and trying to look at all the buildings of empire, you know, and and whether they were. You know, there's no idea, but you know, there's been a lot of debate lately on on you know the empire is a good thing, and I think it's firmly concluded that wasn't a good thing. Uh, mm. But we're we're out to prove the buildings can't be a bad thing. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, limitations can't be a bad thing, you know. Um, well, Anuvab, sorry, we've got to um, I'll say our farewells. Uh, but your show, um, uh, The Empire, um, is going to be running from Tuesday the 1st to Saturday the 5th of May uh, this year, 7.30pm at Soho Theatre in Dean Street. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Anuvab. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Bye, my love. Bye. Bye-bye. There we go, that is Anubab. We are going to go to a very quick song. This is Celebrity Skiing by Hole. Don't go anywhere. Oh, make me over. There we go, that's Celebrity Skin. Um, Hole and on the phone line right now, we've got multi-award winning author, feminist, women's rights activist. It's Louise O'Neill. Louise, Welcome. Uh, hello, thank you for having me. Hi. Thank you so, so much uh, for being part of our show. How are you today? I am very well and all the better for speaking to you. <laughs> Do you know what? That is lovely. Yeah, what a, what a ray of sunshine <laughs> on our Saturday morning. This is what we need. This is what we need. Um, Louise, your new book is out on March the 15th and it's called Almost Love. Can you tell us a little bit about it, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Almost Love is about a young woman called Sarah who becomes embroiled in this very toxic love affair with an older man called Matthew. And she becomes increasingly infatuated with him and really desperate to win his approval and to prove herself worthy of his love and respect. Oh, we've all been there. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know. We all have, unfortunately. Uh, but um, yeah, so she, uh, the affair doesn't last long, but it has very long lasting repercussions for Sarah's, you know, her career and her relationship with her father and her friends. And I think more importantly, really, though, the way that she sees herself um, and um, how she feels about herself. Mm. So it's a book about um, obsessive love, um, about desire, about power, power dynamics between men and women. Um, and um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Um, I think. I think it's probably my favourite of my three books so far, so I really hope other people enjoy it too. Oh, I bet they will. When and when is coming out very soon then? No, it's actually it's out at the moment. Oh, okay. um, it came out. Um, yeah, no, it came out last week in the middle of like it was published in the middle of the worst snowstorm that we've seen in Ireland oh, wow. in thirty years. So Isn't the that entire, so cool? The entire country was brought right. to its knees. No bookshops were open. Yeah. But did it feel so good when once you put it out, like the feeling of releasing a book that you've been working so hard on was such a good feeling? It it is. I mean, it's also very anxiety provoking. You know, you you do tend to feel very nervous because you're, you know, you're hoping that people will respond to it and that the book will resonate with people. But I mean, the response so far from readers has been really astonishing like you know all these women um, emailing me um, and sending me private messages on Instagram and Twitter just to tell me their stories of their Matthew um, and to just the time that they I think fell into this sort of obsessive relationship and found themselves acting in ways that they never thought they were capable of so that's been a really really interesting experience to see how readers are responding to it so far. That is amazing. I I really hear that your debut novel, Only Ever Yours, won Newcomer of the Year at the Irish Book Awards um, and the inaugural uh, bookseller uh, YA Prize. That is incredible. Oh, thank you. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I was very, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, I, you know, people have always just been very kind um, and generous about my work and very receptive to it. And I think as an author there's not much more than you that you could ask for Hmm. and does it give you pressure you know I guess when your first book 
a win, win such um, that respect and accolade, does it give you pressure on your second book that you've got to live up to expectations? Um, yeah, well, actually, I have. Um, my second book was um, Asking For It, um, and that actually won um, uh, the Book of the Year at the Irish Book um, Awards. It won the overall category. Wow. Um, so this is my third novel. Yes, yeah, so I did feel um, uh, the first two, I think, were so successful that I did feel under a lot of pressure um, with the third novel. Um, but I think I just, I took a step back and I asked myself, I said, what is the book that I would want to read um, and almost love as it? Because I'm really interested in the complexity of human nature and how men and women interact with each other and the intersection of class and privilege and um, and gender. And, and, and also, I just want it to be a really good story. I think for me, that's the most important thing is that, you know, someone picks up the book um, and what most people uh, seem to be saying is that they're reading it in one sitting that they just physically, you know, can't put it down. And for me, that's, I think, the, the, the greatest thing to hear is that someone uh, finds uh, your work uh, well-paced and compelling. And so much that they reach out to you afterwards as well, which is even more fabulous. Yeah, no, it's been really, it's, it's been really nice, I think, to have that connection um, with the reader. And, you know, I have a lot of issues with social media, but I will say that that, yep. um, the way that has broken down the barriers between, let's say, the author and the reader has been, I, mm. I think personally, um, is really lovely. Yeah, totally. Louise, um, we're going to have to say our farewells. Um, Louise, Louise O'Neill, your, um, your new book out now called Almost Love. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care, Louise. Thank you. Bye. Bye. They get Louise O'Neill there, um, multi-award winning author, feminist and women's rights activist and her new book, uh, Almost Love. Um, very busy show. It's been full of people it's been fantastic <laughs> if you have just joined us welcome this is our um, Eva She uh, campaign live 24 hour marathon 24 hours I don't know how you're doing how are you I'm, how are you over there I'm alright <laughs> I do feel I have hit a little teeny tiny wall but there's nothing caffeine won't sort out for me um, I feel yes it's yes we will get there we will get there as well as studio snacks which are in route right now they so are, um. the, 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 he's on his way I'm gonna get the <laughs> studio snacks um minka um introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you for our listeners oh gosh and um, what is there to say um my name is miki Eza, also cheeky miki to us uh, some but um no I'm, I'm a radio presenter and i work in the music industry as a radio plugger so i'm basically oh. lots of uh, chasing after rappers and making sure that they're happy which is a very interesting job in itself <laughs> I think, yes, I bet that is. I bet you've got some stories to tell. Loads of stories. People always ask me, because if you're looking, you know, if you're organising an artist's schedule or whatever, they're like, oh, like, have you ever been mean to you? Like, are they, are they so demanding? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, sometimes, you know, someone has asked me, you know, for blue M&Ms. If they want blue M&Ms, you get them blue M&Ms. Does that really happen? And you eat the rest. Yeah, it does. Wow, wow. <laughs> but more so, it's more on the um, illegal substances that people are, <laughs> are after when they're on tour. <laughs> uh, the music industry. The music industry. We'll be chatting a little bit later on. We're going to um, just take a very, very short breather, but do not go anywhere. Fubar Radio presents Sarah Love and Rice How you doing, Desiree? So what about to those people who are like, fine, well, if you've got Black History Month, why don't we have White History Month then? Because you have oh, White well, History Month. Oh, well, that would be every year. other month. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. that would be every other month, right? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is. 2018 is meant to be the year of the black woman or something. Is that all? Well, clarify this Well, to I me. always like to say it's when everybody else has already caught up to what we already do. How? 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 How
shots fired. Quan Desiree, preach. That's that's a term of endearment, by the way. Every Monday, Sarah Love and my Stiggy from 4 p.m. Fubar Radio. Right out, let's do it. Drop that. Well, that was a very sudden, um, very sudden. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It made it woke me up. It woke me up. Um, let's welcome into the studio. It's Charlie Conti. Welcome. Hello, thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah. I thought I'd come and um, and and share in your experience of staying up. So I've I've been up obviously all night. Uh, <laughs> it, I show. totally yeah. believe you. Uh, well, yeah. you know, in the spirit of he for she yeah. and uh, yeah. equality, I thought I'd do the same thing. I'm very touched. I'm very touched. <laughs> I actually went to bed at ten last night. I hate you. A good nine hours you're actually so, quite um, fresh yeah. aren't you yeah I am really fresh fresh so as you, a daisy I don't know if you just want to ask me maybe one question and then I'll give a really long answer and you can just nap <laughs> well I've uh, got a pillow so uh, <laughs> we're all good with that aren't Excellent. we uh, do you know what, one of the things that really stands out for me when I look at your notes is you and you know you probably spent years training as an actor working as an actor being proud as an actor you were named Attitudes Man of the Year in 2012 <laughs> It's a real dear diary moment. I was. It was lovely, that, actually. It was the first time um, <laughs> Attitude had done an awards thing. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, and they told me that I had won an award, but they wouldn't tell me what it was. Really? Is that, I, is that allowed to happen? It, they said, you won, <laughs> and would you come and have a photo shoot? And I said, yeah. Could be for anything. So I went in. Yeah, I know, right? And that, <laughs> that was the And you're just um, there, like, woo. And I, and I went into the studio, and there were loads of people all having their pictures taken. There were people like Catelyn Moran had won... Woman of the Year or something or Honorary Gay or I don't know something um, <laughs> and there were loads of other people there that I knew and they'd all been told what their awards were but they wouldn't they wouldn't tell me what I'd won um, maybe they just it, loved the shock look of surprise on your maybe, face they maybe. were they were gearing for and it then it turned out they were putting me on the cover so once I'd figured that out uh-huh. then I was like oh, okay I must have they put you on nice. the cover they put me on the cover well of I course because you're so a man of the year yeah right? gorgeous man on the cover <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be that's, that's amazing well it was it was lovely um, let's talk about um, well your time in Coronation Street yes um, what was that like um, what was it like? It was uh, amazing and wonderful and an incredible experience for me. And, and by the end, enough. <laughs> Time for me to leave. Yeah. I, I loved it there. And the people um, are fantastic. And, you know, a lot of the time people talk about Coronation Street being a big family. But it really does feel like that. And it's a great place to work. It was something that I grew up with. Yeah. So it felt part of my DNA anyway. How long were um, you in it for? I did four and a half years altogether. Yeah. So, yeah, it felt significant. But I think my my family are down here. I've got two kids and a partner. And the c- constant commute up to Manchester, I'd go up on a Sunday evening and I'd come back on a Friday night. Oh, and, wow. And how, how many? Were you filming every day? Not every day, no. But if you were in a big storyline, you'd be there yeah. every day. Right. And then you might get a couple of weeks off. But you never really knew your schedule until the week before. So they didn't, they didn't really reveal the stories to you, even the, the no. actors, did the they? The actors are the last people to find out. That's crazy. Um, and so you'd never, you wouldn't be able to plan anything. And it was just uh, after that amount of time, I thought, I need to have a break. Have yeah. a bit of a break. I loved it there. And I would never say never to going back. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it wasn't. Can I ask, though, when, like, seeing as you were a character on, on television, when people saw you, you know, mm. in normal life and they're shouting your character at you, because I remember, like, when I saw um, Minty from EastEnders and I was in Nando's and I was like, oh my God, Minty, I didn't know Stop you liked Nando's. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't yeah. know you liked Nando's. And he was like, well, you know, I actually. Why would I not like Why Nando's? Would I yeah. Like yeah. Nando's? 
Landers. But you just think so much when you look at a character that you love that you just always like Did, people get very confused. I had, <laughs> yeah, I had a woman, bet. there was a woman on the tube station once and um and she looked across at me and I caught her eye and she kind of went hello and I went hello and she went I know you and I said oh do you and she went because I played a midwife in the show she went not really a midwife are you and I went no I'm not and then she went no so what do you do then and I, I just thought really? it was really odd. Quit. Yeah, that what is do a, you do then? That is I was like, so well, I'm an actor. I pretend to be a midwife. She, she got really embarrassed and went, "Oh my god, of course you're an actor. I'm so sorry." <laughs> but it was just that kind of. She knew I wasn't a midwife, but she didn't know what my actual yeah. job was. Mm. So people get confused about the show. How um, was it an easy decision? You know, you've gone. You know, maybe you know, as a as an actor, like trying to get work, then you get this contract with Coronation Street, four and a half years, mm. to then go out of the comfort of that job, of that regular work, to go back out into into the real world. Yeah, I actor. suppose. I think uh, I don't know really. I, I've never really thought about things like that, and I'd always worked before Coronation Street. Oh, okay. I'd, I'd yeah. had 20 years or something in the business before, yeah. since I was 18. So maybe, yeah, probably about that long. Wow. Um, so I wasn't so concerned, and I and I have worked a lot. I know a lot of people struggle coming out of a soap, and people yeah. find because it you're hard so... to get work, but I, I've been lucky, I suppose. Yeah, because you're so in tune with your character, and you have been for so many years, that mm. when you finally kind of stray away, it's mm. like, it must be such a weird sensation, I don't know. Yeah, and I think there are people there that are very much just their characters and that's what they do and, and it suits a lot of people to yeah. be there for a yeah. long time there are Ian Beale Ian Beale <laughs> different soaps but yeah I imagine he's but really good. Well, I, like I know I'm like also an EastEnders fan as well I love all soaps but yeah but it's like um, uh, Bill Roach who plays Ken Barlow who's mm. been in the show since, yes. since the first episode so that's uh, he must else. be getting on for 60 years now wow um, and he loves it there so, does he yeah. alright yeah. well there you go Fair play to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure um, what would you say you know we've had a lot of uh, creatives on the, the show so far um, and they talk about you know the 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 hustle, the grafting mm. it takes. Um, what what would you say for someone coming into the industry? I, what it's I'd really say like? Get a proper job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, the thing is, I think. If you if you're an artist or if you're an artistic person or whatever, yeah. it's in you and it's what you want to do and it's what you you need to do and 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 therefore you would expect that you have an element of creativity in you. So, I think most actors. Are, are capable of acting. Most, mm. most, most of them can do it. The, the hard part when they talk about it being a struggle is the being out of work. Once mm. you've got a job, then you're doing what you yeah. love and doing what you're capable of, purpose. and it's great, yeah. exactly, and yeah. it's wonderful. But it's when you're out. It's of the work. in between. These are the, these are the hard. But this parts, is the creative yeah. industry. Most jobs is like you don't know. They come few, like few and far between. Mm. All they have breaks between. You have a like. It's so different that when you're not in it it's like oh my gosh what's going on but yeah. once you're in it you're in it to win it yeah that's right that's right <laughs> so I think I, I think I would say to people just be aware of those moments yes. be aware of the, yeah. the sitting waiting for your agent's phone mm. or <laughs> trying to hustle your own work up yeah. or whatever it is yeah it's, that's what it is it's as well tough. hustle your own work up yeah. sometimes writing sometimes looking at other avenues that you can do to create your own work yes yeah, absolutely just stay creative stay mm. stay you know it, it, do, using using that part of your brain that would be that would be my advice yeah but we, I know I'm just saying because we do live in a world now where we're so you know we we have links to YouTube and Sagland and everything. Yeah. You can make your own yeah. TV show if you yeah. really wanted yeah. to. We're just in a world where you can be as creative as you want and not relying on anyone else. So guess what? That's something to do in between those moments. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, what are you working on at the moment? 
What am I working on? I've just finished on something that weirdly I'm not allowed to talk about, which is so silly because uh, it doesn't really? help when I'm on a radio You're show. You're really working, are you? <laughs> I'm working yeah. on so I'm much, actually just sitting waiting this. for my agent to call. <laughs> no, it's just one of those things. It's a franchise yeah. and they wait to announce the cast on a thing. So, yeah. I, yeah, it's not anything huge. It's just something that I've been doing that I can't announce yet. Amazing. <laughs> are you enjoying it? Is it I, good fun? I finished it now, but yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was amazing. Uh, and now I'm getting my house done up. So, I've taken well. Oh. It was supposed to be three months off work to to focus on that, but it's taking slightly, slightly longer, longer because the builders take longer. So yeah, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and you're a patron of the Albert Kennedy Trust. Tell us about that. I am. Yeah, the Albert Kennedy Trust is a fantastic charity that work with um, uh, LGBT youth and more specifically homeless. Um, LGBT people, people that have been perhaps have come out to their family, have been thrown out um, mm. and are living on the streets and the Albert Kennedy Trust do a number of things to, to support them but often getting them into temporary accommodation so that they're safe and they're not having to go into sex work which so many people do or um, manage, managing to place them with other families or with, there's a mentoring scheme, they do a huge amount um, because the majority of, um, uh, I think they, there's a huge percentage, of, I can't remember the statistics, but the, a huge percentage of homeless people are LGBT, certainly under the oh. age of 18, yeah. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they get, you know, so many from, often from religious backgrounds or yeah. or families that just aren't tolerant. Um, yeah, throw them out. And then they're too young to to find anywhere they can't get jobs whatever so they end up on the street wow absolutely shocking I do some mentoring for uh, Centrepoint oh yeah so, um, so a similar kind of thing yes yeah How? and we've actually um, spoken a bit about mentoring how important would you say mentoring is um, reaching out to to younger people who probably don't have someone to talk to or turn I think to. it's hugely important I, I, you know I'm a dad and I had a great upbringing and I'm really privileged in, yeah. in that respect I, uh, you know I was very lucky and so many people don't have that and we, things that we just take for granted um, just having that kind of support mm-hmm. um, and, and I think it's you know we often hear about the importance of role models and people that you can aspire to and, and look up to but I think actually what's more important is that there is just somebody there who is older and more responsible and somebody that can listen. guide you and listen mm. and tell you that it's going to be alright and 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 help you in any yeah. way that they can. So yeah. I think uh, I think it's a, a a huge thing really. And the Albert Kennedy Trust do amazing work with them um, with some of the young people. Yeah, and where can people find out about the Albert Kennedy Trust? Oh no, you put me on the spot. And I, can't <laughs> I know right? the website. It's, um, Type into Google Albert, Albert Kennedy, Kennedy Trust. Trust. <laughs> I think it's akt.org, but um, I might be wrong. So Google it. Good old Google. Charlie, yes. thank you so so much for joining You're us. You're very welcome. It's You're very welcome, and well done. I'm really thank impressed. You. Did it, it seem like a really good idea at the time? Right? <laughs> it seemed like the best idea. Was it your idea? It was my idea. I approached. The, uh, the UN and we, yeah. we're here now but yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like I'm over the difficult you're on the bit. home stretch yeah, right? this is yeah, I yeah. But when it's totally. midday I'm like I can maybe get, treat myself with a little glass of wine in midday then I've maybe. got five hours yeah. don't know if that's going to be the downfall or the upfall <laughs> that's right you can just sit here and look pretty and let people talk around you that's well, I'm, 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 <laughs> Why are you nap? That's what they don't realise. They don't realise. Um, so thank you so so much for joining us. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Um, and don't go anywhere. We um, interviewed the wonderful 
Ben Azand uh, a little bit earlier on. Um, so we'll be back very, very shortly. Well, in the studio right now with me, we've got Benjamin Zand, documentary maker, filmmaker. I read somewhere journalist extraordinaire, which I quite like the word extraordinaire. And who wrote that? I didn't write that. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Your mum wrote, wrote it. Yeah, so. um, and also 2016 Young Talent of the Year, uh, the RTS Journalism Award. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I feel like I've been riding off that award for too long now. I need to win another one. You I know don't blame I mean? you. I really don't blame you. Your CV is incredible. We're all very jealous and your documentaries are, they're just, the stories that you never knew really existed. Well, let's start right from the beginning. You started off doing a travel website. Yeah, I did, yeah. I mean, I, I basically left uni. I did journalism in uni. Mm. It wasn't, like, intentional. I basically failed everything else. And I kind of forced myself. <laughs> and here we are. And luckily, yeah, exactly, luckily <laughs> it worked out, um, and I enjoy it. But, yeah, and then I kind of left uni and just couldn't get a job, essentially. It's not, it wasn't a glamorous beginning at all. No. So I just set up a website because I was like, what the hell am I going to do in my life? And then I thought, you know, if I have a website, at least then... I'm technically not employed because I'm employed by myself. You know, it was very optimistic. <laughs> and then, yeah, I just kind of made the website, made kind of, actually at one point I had like 20 writers writing for it, but it's because you know, everybody needs That's work incredible. essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And they want to kind of like, you know, get the names out there. And then I kind of started making videos and I had made a documentary about Iranians living in Los Angeles. And then kind of whilst having this travel website, I just kept applying for jobs. And then the BBC kind of interviewed me for a position, didn't give me it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm this industry. Give up everything exactly and then they said to me oh you know but you can come in for like an internship and then I did like a three week internship and then they offered me like shifts but it was like one shift a week literally for about six months and I was staying in like a hostel oh, near wow. um, Pimlico and I honestly just hated life so yeah I mean looking <laughs> back at it which I actually don't do very much mm. I'm very happy that I'm here now at least I can you know make you know at least I'm making a living out of it because I didn't really think I would and it's documentaries is that something you always wanted to do or again was it a way around to get into the industry and make your mark and then you realise I actually love doing this no I mean I so I basically I definitely didn't always want to do documentaries because I didn't really even know it was a concept you yeah. know what I mean I didn't really know the difference between like a film and a documentary growing up and I didn't really know anybody who made documentaries so it wasn't like oh my god I want to make docs basically I was in college and I genuinely failed pretty much everything well I got I got three E's and a U good work um, I know exactly uh, <laughs> what were they uh, in by the way <laughs> but it was in physics maths French and English and it was I mean it was mainly because I just didn't do any work yeah. I, kind of, like, I, I basically went to quite a rubbish high school then I went to quite a good college and I just couldn't keep up uh, and then one of the teachers was saying to me you know, the best thing you're good at is English even though you've done badly you know you, you are nice. good at it <laughs> exactly, exactly. even though you're terrible <laughs> yes. this thing you're reasonably okay at. so then from that I kind of like worked I mean I had to give up physics because I failed that I actually wanted to do astronomy and obviously wasn't going to do that no um, so I basically started working hard in English and then I kind of I ended up getting BBC can you imagine that like literally that's oh, the great the I irony exactly I know, I, you know so, written yeah. the stars but then so she said to me you know if you're good at English journalism something you should kind of look into mm. and then I kind of look, started looking into it and I was like oh my god this is freaking amazing and I mm. had I kind of hate when people say this but I you know I had been I had filmed growing up people always, people always say who make documentaries yeah you know I picked up a camera when I was nine years old which isn't true but I mean I, I kind of like you know had liked filming a lot and I you know always loved the idea of you know making things essentially and yeah. then I essentially went to university and there was a documentary course within the university and that's kind of when I fell in love with it oh, wow. and I genuinely honestly there's nothing I could do now looking back that I would do anywhere near as passionately like I basically hate everything in the world and documentary <laughs> is one of the few things that I don't hate. so yeah I'm happy I've 
stumbled upon it, essentially. And what is it about documentaries that you love so much? Is it the fact that you want those stories, again, that people don't know that much about? to be yeah. told and people who don't have a voice to have a voice yeah and it's kind of cool that you said to me oh the thing that was cool about your documentaries are that they are stories people haven't heard about because mm, that is yeah. genuinely what I want to do it's just from birth was just meet people see the world and try and expand my mind essentially because you know I'm like my dad's Iranian but I grew up in like Nosley which is like I think it's like the whitest borough in the UK <laughs> um, so I, didn't, I never really like kind of got to you know express my Iranian side or just to kind of mm. try and understand the world a bit so I was always fascinated with like the the world and that's why I was obsessed with like astronomy at first because like the stars were like you know the most extreme form of it and then the reason I just love documentary is that it allows me you know I go to different places I speak to different people who have such contrasting views to yep. me and literally on a year year by year basis my views of the world completely change my personal views completely change my opinions completely change I, I can't really say for sure what they are because mm. they are changing all the time and also it's just you know the access you get I get to meet people that other people don't get to meet you know you get to go to places that people think are scary and in real in, rea in, in reality it's not really scary at all and then also people get to see it and you know you know you know you came in here and said oh you've watched the documentary that's freaking amazing it's so cool that actually people see things and then they get to feel emotions that you yes. felt while you were making things and it's just amazing it is really an amazing career and it invokes conversation as well exactly I'd be so boring if I didn't do that <laughs> like, I actually don't know what I'd talk about because I'm a terrible person at holding conversation <laughs> so usually I just talk about documentaries all the time the issue is people always say oh it sounds like you're just trying to interview me or it sounds like, you're like, oh, it's like straight oh, in the heart I don't know how else to talk um, but yeah so it, it does I mean I suppose it just makes my life interesting and hopefully I'm slightly more interesting to other people that's no. a good, a good it's true you are and one thing I do really like as well about your documentaries and your style of interviewing is you have no fear in when you ask questions you don't hold back you just ask questions it's a lot I think a lot of us are probably like oh did he say that or was a bit is that intentional or do you not actually have any fear no no I definitely have fear <laughs> um it's basically just because I've always been taught by fellow journalists when I was in school that you need to ask the challenging question it's all about like challenging somebody like mm -hmm. you need to make sure you challenge them and I remember like when I first started out I didn't necessarily do it as much and, and even me watching it I was like oh it's like so embarrassing you just look like a little bitch basically you know what I mean? it's like, you, if you've gone into a room and you're speaking to somebody who's reasonably controversial you need to ask all yes. questions it's kind of like what, one thing I don't do is I'm not, I'm not trying to show my opinion like I'm not saying oh my god you're wrong for doing that mm -hmm. I always say some people would say because I don't really know what's right but I always before I'm going to an interview I think what is the question they would really not want me to ask and then I try and figure out a way to ask it but I never walk into a room and I never say so you hate gay people why you're not trying to be controversial for yeah, no, exactly. for but equally, no reason. I would never do that first. It's kind of like you have to build up some kind of relationship. Yes, um, yeah. But yeah, I, if I don't ask a challenging question, I have completely failed. Like that's, I definitely get scared about it because uh, some people, you know, I remember I was like interviewing a drug lord in Lebanon. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and I, I was a bit worried because like we were in a place um, braver in, than me. <laughs> we were like in the middle of nowhere, and um, you know he was you know slightly scary. But equally, I, I kind of didn't think he was going to kill me at that exact moment. It's a good, good thought <laughs> a good process, thought. yeah. Um, and, he, and I was like, you know, I can't leave here not asking him, you know, you know, should you not be in jail? Are you not a murderer? Are you not a criminal? Because you have to ask those questions. Yeah. And what I've realised is that most people, as long as you ask them it in a way that isn't, a f like, you're not being aggressive to them, they are happy to answer quest most questions because 
they kind of expect it. If, if you don't think mm. a journalist is going to ask you a difficult question, you're a bit of a dumbass, basically. It's very true. I hope you say that to the next drug lord yeah, that you meet. Exactly. What's been the most, I guess, either challenging or controversial documentary you've done that you walk away from that and you're thinking, oh, that was, that was incredible, but you felt that fear? Was it? The drug lord time, or? Uh, well, it's it's quite. I mean, it's quite difficult. Like the Dictatorland was mm-hmm. interesting, just because you know you're you know essentially saying an entire country is like a dictatorship, and and for me that is like that's me having an opinion. I kind of do hate. Like now I'm actually going backwards where I I kind of I first started out not even remotely being opinionated. I feel like I had like a little year where I seem to express some opinions and now I just don't really want to be opinionated anymore because <laughs> documentaries shouldn't be about the presenter's opinions in my opinion yeah, if you're a, if you're a journalist the whole point is that it's not about you it's about the people so it's kind of like now I suppose and, and I made one about a place called Tripoli in Lebanon and loads of people got in touch with me because they were saying that I I was making Tripoli look bad as a whole where it was only it was only one street that was bad so the certain things that I regret within films um, but I think you always will um, regret a, a lot of things. It's one of those things. Documentaries are controversial a lot of the yeah, time. You're yeah. kind of touching on very controversial subjects. As long as I feel as though I've challenged people. And for me, it's all about trying to be different. Like I, mm. I, I try and be funny in some of the docs I do because people don't usually be funny in documentaries. That's and, true. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like, why not? So as long as I've tried to be different, as long as it's brought up a conversation, as long as I've challenged people who think that they're too powerful to be challenged, then I am happy. But I definitely have regrets because... Because <laughs> yeah. we all do. Yeah, exactly. Your latest, um, you've got a documentary here, The Curse of Being Obsessed with Success and the Rocky Road to Happiness. I was looking at this on Twitter, actually. It's so true because it's like we can keep on working towards something and once we get that little bit of success, it's you want a bit more, you want a bit more. And for the kind of work we do, we're all perfectionists. We want to be the best we can be at what we do. So when, where do you stop? Yeah, I mean, was, that's not actually a documentary. That's just a, a poem I put out, essentially. Yeah. I'm going through a phase of trying to just do loads of random stuff, essentially, because um, <laughs> why not? Because I don't know whether, you know, there might be something else I love as much as documentary making, so I'm making, like, a short film as well called The Case of the Internet Man. And this was kind of like a precursor to it. But, yeah, I mean, essentially the reason I did it is because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I'm not necessarily entirely happy all the time, and people think that you are. I, I get yeah. so many people get in touch with me going, like, oh, my God, you get to travel the world. Living the dream. You're living the dream. Yeah. You must be so happy. And it's like, no, I'm not, because... <laughs> I'm obsessed with success and you don't get happy by, you know, being successful. You get happy by, you know, changing how you perceive the world. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely not changed how I perceive the world yet. But I realize that I'm, I'm essentially just trying to open myself up more to the world because I am confused at this point. You know, I, I do. I don't really go out that much on a Saturday. I'm usually sitting in my house working because I, I, there's something I want to do. And like, I don't see my friends that much because I'm working and I'm always thinking about working and always comparing myself to other documentary makers or other people. I'm like, why haven't I done that? Why haven't I done this? And it really gets to you. And I think mm. one thing about making that poem and putting it online is like the amount of people who got in touch with me afterwards and said to me, I'm exactly the same. Mm. Like I literally think exactly the same was incredible and it's nice that you once again about you have that like kind of emotional connection you could argue maybe i want that emotional connection online because i i don't have it in real life but i but i do i mean i have a lot of friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does anyone have any french for uh ben that we can uh... <laughs> no but i have friends but it's just like i have i feel like i've kind of gone into this realm of just being obsessed with being like significant because i've some reason feel as though i have to be significant but i don't i, I realize i don't know why that is yeah and that's why i wrote that poem and I think a lot of people are obsessed with success. Yes. 
and it's just I suppose a reminder it was really just a reminder to me that I decided to broadcast and a lot of people got in touch with me and said they felt the same but I don't know when you stop and I feel like I think what you have to realise and what I need to realise is that it really has nothing to do with where you are at in life so when people message me on Instagram and message me on Twitter saying to me your life looks amazing it's a lie you know it's kind of like yeah. my life is amazing if I choose to perceive it as it being amazing but, but you're I, in it at the moment so you're not like they're going oh this is brilliant exactly in retrospect in, it's fantastic yes, but in yeah. that exact moment I'm thinking much more about what I haven't done yet mm. like I'm confident if I won an Oscar tomorrow I would not be happy because I'd immediately just be like what the hell why am I not I need to win another Oscar yeah. you know or am I not what, as good as my last one Oscar I haven't won six Oscars <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm in a, at a point now where it's actually not really about the films I'm making it's about my mind and just trying to change the way I see the world because it is all about perception and mm. a lot of people are unhappy and it's sad and it makes me sad yeah and I think it's very well said hence why everyone resonates with it because I think we all do on a certain level for sure this is our UN UK women's show he for she campaign what would you say are your inspirational women I mean I'd say the inspirational women I've met in my life are definitely women I speak to whilst making documentaries whether that's Fixers, for example, who are in countries that are pretty dangerous mm. and they're going against kind of what the government wants them to do and literally putting their lives at risk in countries where it's a lot more dangerous for a woman to do so than it is for a man. You know, I've met a lot of female journalists. I was in El Salvador recently with a series I did about basically women being jailed for miscarriages and the amount mm. of women kind of putting themselves... Which is themselves, crazy. I mean, it's absolutely insane, yeah. I mean, and the amount of women putting themselves on the line and kind of getting themselves in loads of trouble protesting. I remember when I was making... Dictatorland, there was a lady I interviewed in Kazakhstan who was essentially, she was broadcasting a lot of the crimes, a lot of the, the misdeeds that the government were doing and her life had literally been torn apart. A guy, a government agent had essentially started a fake relationship with her, had sex with her, recorded it, put it online to try and make her look like a, a slut essentially and literally destroyed her entire life and she was still going on to fight against it, both for wow. women, both people who had been kind of you know, just fucked over by yeah, society, essentially. Incredible. So, so they're the people who I respect. I mean, I, I always respect people who don't boast about what they do because mm. we live in a time where a lot of people like to yep. to tell you they do loads of good stuff. And you know, I've been probably guilty of that in the past, and I'm trying to not do that. Mm. I much more respect people who are in countries where you don't get that coverage because the government does not want to give you that coverage because that would make them get in trouble. Mm. And the women who are still going up against the government, who are still trying to stand for women and for society in general, and who are literally being broken every day, is that's impressive to me. Yeah, I think that's brilliantly said. I really, really do. Well, look, uh, Benjamin Zant, thank you very much for joining us today and good luck with, with everything and getting your sixth Oscar. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to winning the sixth one. Uh, enjoy. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Bar Radio and UN Women UK present a live 24-hour radio show. 24 hours. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.